All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, today we're going back to uh, back to the beginning. We've got Cade Courtley on, uh, world famous Navy SEAL. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Cade, give me so give us a background on your on your TV life, right? I know that we dove into it a little bit whenever you were, um, you know, when when we when we were in New York. Um, but the, you know, everybody knows about the SEAL teams. They know about things like that, but they don't always know what guys are doing after the <clears throat> excuse me after the teams. So I mean, just give us give us a little bit of a little bit of an overview. Seal TV host, go for it. Well, um, I was getting ready to get out of the seals. I ended up <clears throat> kind of did full circle and ended up my last year in the teams. I was an instructor, senior instructor at Buds, and I was there in Coronado. And I was sort of like, all right, you know, what do I want to dabble with next? And I was friends with a guy. There was a production company in San Diego at the time. They did some kind of low-budget TV shows and stuff like that, like Silk Stockings and some other one. I, I don't even remember what it was. And he's like, hey, you want to come in and maybe do some stunt work? Yeah. You'd be there maybe half an hour. It's 200 bucks. I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. I was kind of doing them a favor anyway because I'm having a hard time finding some guys. And so I started doing some stunt work and some things like that. And then I actually got a couple of, like, bit parts for, act quote, acting. Um uh, and I ended up getting like my screen actor skill card while I was still in the teams. And uh, I was like, you know, it was kind of intriguing. I was 31. It's like, oh, that's fun. You go. They had this amazing catering. There's always a bunch of really good good looking ladies on the set. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, but no, let's let's get let's get real. Uh, so I had applied to the University of Southern California to get my master's degree. I was going to get my MBA and it was uh, specifically for real estate development. I was like, Hell yeah, because if you come out of USC with a master's, you have one of the best networking things in all of Southern California. I mean, any alumni sure. you call up, they're like, they're like, oh, you're a Trojan? <clears throat> yeah, come on, we'll hire you. We'll put you here. We'll, <laughs> we'll hook you up there. So I ended up, uh, I got accepted to the program, and about two months before it was supposed to start, um, I got a phone call about this uh, TV show called Combat Missions. So if you're familiar with the godfather of reality TV, his name is Mark Burnett. He's one that did Survivor, The Apprentice, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he just finished his first season of Survivor. It was a huge hit. Uh, it was a brand new concept at the time, which is totally dating myself. So, so this is like myself. early 2000s. You're talking like 2001 to 2003, yeah, this is Yeah, this is 2001. <clears throat> so um, I get a call. He's like, hey, we're doing this show where we take Spec Ops guys, SWAT law enforcement, we're going to put them on four separate teams, mixed, and you guys are going to compete against each other to find out who the biggest badass is out there in recreations of like military and law enforcement things that actually happened. I was like, that sounds like fun. How long? He's like, yeah, just a month. Just, you know, come out to high desert of California. We took over this old National Guard Army base. We're going to go ahead. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I'm not starting school for two more months. I, and, and the key was I had just gotten off active duty. So I just left the Navy because the Navy had gotten word that a lot of people were being approached about this TV show. And they put out this memorandum that basically said, if you're active duty, you cannot participate in the show in any way, shape or form. No shit. So Mark's like, Mark's like, sweet, just got out your current former, former team guy, uh, sniper. He's like, you'll be perfect. So I was like, yeah, it sounds like fun. And it was, we had a blast. I mean, you know, met a ton of new friends out there. We had a great time. 
we weren't actually getting shot at. So that was kind of cool. I mean, you're just going out and doing stuff like drug lab bus and hostage rescue and things like that. And he, they put a lot of money into it. They had helicopters on, on station and wow. you know, it, it was a lot of fun and goddamn Mark Burnett. I, he got me, I, I got bit by the bug, the Hollywood bug doing that. <laughs> and after the show, after we were done filming, he came up to me, he's like, you're a natural man. You're great in front of the camera. Uh, you're charismatic. You can actually make complete sentences sometimes. Why don't you come up to Hollywood? And I'm thinking, all right, well, with a guy like that, he's going to help me out. You know, he'll get me in front of the right people. Why not? I can put USC and my MBA on hold for a year and I'll go like, you know, put my toe in, in, in the pond, so to speak. Right. Right. Well, well, it's a, it's not a pond. It's a freaking swamp, that business, which I would find out later. But I, so I decided I threw all my stuff in a uh, U-Haul and, uh, and drove from San Diego up to, uh, I ended up moving uh, to a little apartment in Santa Monica and, and decided, all right, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a big star. <laughs> and this is Not your, so your early thirties. Yes. Is that what you Yeah. Mean? So I was, thir- I was 31 years old oh, and dude. literally just, just <clears throat> fresh out of, out of the teams. And I decided to give it a shot. I had a little bit of money saved up, which never lasts in that time. But, uh, <laughs> So I go out and I do all that rookie shit. I go, you know, I, well, I need to get headshots and just, I look at some of those. I was like, man, that's embarrassing. I got to burn these things, you know, and I'm walking around. I'm like handing them out to people, uh, trying to find an agent and a manager. And, and just, you know, I thought I was really pretty squared away guy with, with relatively good intelligence and common sense. Having been a SEAL officer, I was 31 years old. And I still hit a bunch of landmines in that business that first year. I mean, it's, it, it, there, it's, there's no other business that does things the way they do, except maybe the mafia It is just filled with scoundrels. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, and when we were in New York, I remember you talked a little bit about that and, and I, it's something that I don't think a whole lot of people really, um, they, well, I don't think they really understand what all goes into it. You know what I mean? I gotta tell you, I mean, I feel bad for somebody who was like, the prom queen and just gets off the bus from Toledo. And she's like, well, everybody's always thought I was really pretty. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. Oh my God. That, that poor thing. I mean, I just, it's, it's terrible. They just feed off that. And, uh, look, I can say this cause I did like a seven year tour duty in that town. And you know, the learning curve was vertical and it's just, you know, I don't know why it is, but there is not a sense of satisfaction for the people who are running that business than if they cannot fuck somebody over yep. in the process of doing their daily job. So it's you, disgusting. So you, I mean, you firmly is, believe that I mean, that they it's it's something that like it, it's like ingrained in them to where they almost get like a satisfaction out of out of doing it. That, is it that is the juice for the people no in that business. That's their juice. That's and so it's weird. Just, and it's just, it, it, it really is. Now, there are a lot of incredibly talented people that are involved in filmmaking, TV shows, the entertainment business. A lot of incredibly talented people. I mean, a Spielberg, a Clint Eastwood, you know, just to name a few, some incredible people in front of the camera, behind the camera, just a lot of incredible talent. But it is so it's such a shame that is overshadowed by the disgusting way that the business is run. It, it, it's really a shame. 
Yeah, that's that's insane, man. I mean, so one thing I was thinking about when you know, as I was doing some notes and things like that, I was wondering about you know your time, you know, going into the SEAL teams versus you know the time that that you spent going into the Hollywood life. Which one of those? I mean, and and you can be totally honest here. Which one of those was was harder for you to navigate, right? Because uh, you know, going into the teams, you know, they can tell you all the things that you know. They'll do this. Get you know, get prepared by doing this workout and, you know, make sure you swim. But, you know, until you're there, I've, I've never met a SEAL that was like, oh, yeah, I was fully prepared for, for buds. You know what I mean? And I think it's kind of the same way as Hollywood. I know, I think people get the idea of what it's like, but until you're well, in it and doing it. That, that is a really easy question to answer. Uh, the SEALs was 100 times easier. And I'm not talking it was physically easier or mentally easier. Sure. But in the SEAL teams, there's loyalty. There's trust. There's a code. There's you, you either do it right or you're doing it wrong. It's black and white. There's a mission. That's the good guy, or we're the good guy. That's the bad guy. Let's go out and do it. Okay, I have nothing to worry about. You got my back. I got yours. It is the polar opposite in the entertainment business. Jeez. Polar opposite. None of those core values remotely exist. They just don't. So that's why I think that was a hell of a lot harder. And there was a time when I literally, I, maybe a couple years in, and, and this is, uh, I'd gotten fucked over repeatedly financially on like chasing paychecks on a weekly basis, uh, being told, oh yeah, yeah, you're in, you're in, we got this, the lawyer, contract was signed, eh, sorry, we're going a different route. Oh. I mean, when you're trying to pay the rent every month, that shit hurts. And so uh, there literally was a time, maybe, maybe two or three years into it, where I looked in the mirror, I was like, I used to... I used to run a platoon. I was a sniper. We were going out, we were jumping out of planes. There's this classic line at First Blood where he's like, I used to be in charge of million dollar equipment and now I can't even get a job parking a fucking car. And that's what it felt like. I felt, I felt like John Rambo at the end of First Blood. I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? But you know, that same mentality, you don't want to quit. So you keep going, you keep going, you keep grinding. I mean, I should have known, and, and there's just so many rules in that business or lack thereof. I, I'm going in as a straight guy who is a Gentile and is not related to anybody in the business. So that's like winning the lottery rarity, twice, twice in a week to have any kind of success. But I wasn't going to quit. I was like, all right, I committed to this. I'm not just going to leave my tail between my legs. I'm going to keep going, keep grinding. I can still, at the end of the day, decide I'm going to participate in this or no, that's fucked up, and walk away. Because that was my one rule, and it's, it remains my rule today. If you can't look in the mirror and be okay with what you see, then you got to make some changes. And so, so I kept kept grinding. That's that's one of the biggest uh, draws for me whenever it comes to you know to talking with you and hanging out with you and things like that, dude. New York was 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 one of the best times of my year last year, just because I felt for the first time that I was talking with with like you said, man, very genuine people, people that were in a circle that. You know, they, they would, they, there's no, there's no conniving. People aren't trying to fuck people over. I felt like it was a very honest and very direct group that I was, you know, that I was around and, and, you know, talking to you guys, obviously about buds and everything like that, that's great. But you know, the, the random phone calls and things like that, just following up, just making sure everybody's all good. Dude, that I've like, I've never had that. Right. And you've never met me until, you know, last year, but that's the thing, man, is I, you know, you, (laughs) You, you go from, you know, knowing some, some athletes and things like that, which, you know, that's, that's kind of my background. You know, I played a lot of basketball, football, whatever. 
then you start going to you know talk with guys like you and, and Will and, and everybody else and Bill, um, all those guys, dude. It's it's a totally different world. Like, and that's something that, um, you know, that's something that I I really I I, I want to I want I want more of. If that sound not to sound weird, but like that's like that's the stuff I crave. I crave like people that are. I just crave being around good people, man, and being involved with great people and and I don't know. It's just it's I. I feel you. Look, I, uh, there's a three part answer to this and I'll give you, I'll probably give it to you in reverse, but one of the best things about the teams is they are really good at screening the entire person. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of guys that were physically in better shape than I was going. And it takes more than being in good shape to make it through buds. Sure. And it takes a lot more than just being a physical stud to not only survive in the teams, but thrive in the teams. It's a whole person approach. And, you know, it, some guys slipped through the cracks at Buds because they were physical studs. But, man, I tell you what, if you don't have that core, that, that sense of core values of I'm here for you, I'll do whatever it takes. If I fucked up, my bad, I'll fix it. I got your back, you got mine. They smell that. At team guys, we will sn- sniff that out in about three seconds and you're fucking gone. Go sell used cars, brother. It just, it it is a recipe for failure. And the thing, the reason why they call it core values is because that's where it is. That's something hopefully that you were raised with. And that's something hopefully you will never let go in your life. So even when you get out of the teams, we all get together and there's still that, not only the common bond of having worked together and been through that experience, but hopefully there's still that very common core value of real basic stuff about loyalty and, and and being trustworthy and just i got your back you got mine that it's a ride or die mentality that i hope never goes away in my life and i don't think it will but you saw team guys from 22 years old to guys that were 72 years old last year in new york and and i'd like to think that you were able not to call you as an outsider but as an observer sure. for that for the first time that was a that was a common thread, don't you think? Everywhere, everywhere. I mean, you look at. I mean, even when we went to dinner, or excuse me, uh, breakfast. When we went and walked to breakfast, you know, Mike Vegas and all, Mike Vega and all those guys, they're all down there. And man, I've first off, I've never felt so protected in my life. You know, walking around with a bunch of seals and uh, oh, you can take care in, of business, in New brother. Jersey. Well, I, it's it's better if I just don't have to. You know, if I can say, hey, listen, I okay, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, and you know, LT, go take care of this, right? And uh, yeah, you get my bill. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But uh, no, man, it was, it's just so cool. I mean, it, it felt like it was, it, it really, it, it almost felt like a, kind of like a family reunion of sorts. You know what I mean? Everybody, yeah. everybody, you know, they've kind of had the same, the same relative experience, um, you know, and, and even guys, I mean, like you look at you, you look at, at Mike Vega and some of these other guys and you guys have a lot of, you guys have done a lot of the same things. I mean, you and Mike, and, and that's a lot of my own research on Michael Vega and, 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 Oh, he's, guys, he's a stud. He's a he's a stud, man. And you know, it's kind of funny. I actually had it on my notes here. He was telling a story. Did you do you know? Um, oh, well, this, real quick, let me finish that. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry brother. No, not a problem. Two other parts to answer that question. Part number two is uh, people talk about having issues once they get out, and I never had a problem sleeping or, or, or any of that. My issue with transitioning out of the SIL teams was, holy shit where's my family? What's my mission? What's my purpose? That was, that was really freaking tough because, 
you know, you go all in on something and you're surrounded by excellence. And then all of a sudden a day later, it's like, wow, where is it? That's really freaking tough. And I, you know, I had to reach out to some of the older team guys. I was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of grinding right now. I, I'm having a hard time with this, you know? Uh, and, and I, the, the best thing I ever heard, best piece of advice uh, from an old uh, original dev group guy, he, he said, look, Gabe, here's the deal. You won the lottery, but you spent all the money. So you just got to move on. And I was like, you know what? That, that helps. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know, but please go ahead. No, I just, <clears throat> you know, we started talking about, about, you know, Vega and those guys. And, and did you, do you, I mean, do you know Sean Ryan? Well, like, do you, do you, or do you just kind of know of him and uh, seen him in passing the vigilance elite? Uh, CEO. Yeah. So he did, yeah. he, he did an episode with, with Mike not too long ago. And, and they were talking about, you know, when, when Michael was a, a buds instructor, he got fired and I don't know how, I don't know, you know, the age difference between you and you and Michael and things like that, but have you ever heard about the same, have you ever heard his story about when he got fired? Well, I'm going to have a, I got fired as a buzz instructor story too. So you tell his first. Well, no, I, listen, I'm not, you know, I've, I've, Bill's given me Michael's number and things like that. So I'm not going to step on his toes or anything like that. But if, if anybody hasn't heard Michael Vega in his story on the Vigilance Elite podcast with Sean Ryan, please do me a favor and go listen to it. I don't listen. I don't know Michael and I don't know Sean, but if they they are two phenomenal guys, do your research. Go follow them. You know, go follow them. They're they're phenomenal humans. But uh, Michael, man, he tells a story about um, basically handling things the way that he thought that he should. And and everybody that I've talked to, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody that I've talked to. They, they kind of agree with the same, you know, with, with what he did when he got fired. You know, he, he ended up taking a, uh, um, you guys, I guess you guys have some M4s as instructors that are, they're basically M4 paintball guns. Is that correct? I don't yeah, know what they're yeah, called, I mean, but yeah, he, he basically, that's basically what he equated it to. And he's, he had two guys that were on, two, two kids and, you know, uh, and buds that were on watch. And so they were, you know, they were on watch and one of them fell asleep and the other one is on his phone. And, and so Michael walks out and he ends up, he ends up grabbing one of those, <laughs> one of those M4s and, you know, he starts lighting up their feet and things like that, you know, cause you know, they're supposed to be keeping watch over their brothers. Right. And, and yeah. these guys are all sleeping in the, in the, I don't know if it's the barracks or whatever. I mean, I don't, again, I've never been out to Coronado. I don't know what this looks like, but the, the, anyways, all the guys are asleep and, and so they, you know, Michael comes up and he explains why it was such a big deal. Um, that they were asleep and not paying attention. He says, you aren't just in charge of, or no, he asked him, he goes, he goes, what's the most expensive thing that you are protecting? And one of them said, oh, the demo equipment. The other one said the guns. And, and I guess that pissed Michael off pretty bad. And he's like, he's like all of your brothers in there, right in there. He goes, that is the, the by far the most expensive thing that you're protecting. And you being lazy and sleeping and being on your phone distracted. He's like, you could, you could absolutely let them die. You know what I mean? If this is, if they, you know, if they're in a, a real operation or whatever it may be. And you know, the guys, I don't know if it was that, like they didn't believe him, but um, they said, well, well, you know, we would have alerted him. And he said, Oh really? How? And you go with sound. And so Michael says, okay. So he grabs a, he grabs a Sharpie and he has them follow him. And so they walk into the barracks and he just starts taking the Sharpie and he just draws it across, you know, each guy's neck as they're asleep. Every other guy just right across right. their neck. And uh, anyway, so, 
I, I don't know. I don't think that was the reason he got fired. I think the reason was the the M4. But man, I you know I I look at that and I'm like, that's dude. It's like when I used to get my ass beat by my by my dad growing up, right? I it maybe it wasn't you know technically you know politically correct or anything like that, but dude, I I never made the same mistake twice growing up. Do you know what I mean? And and for me, I just anyways, it, it made me it made me you know. Uh-oh. Yeah, so you're talking about this really crazy concept called accountability? Jeez, <laughs> ma- imagine that. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. It's uh, a lot of people don't have that nowadays, man. It's it's ridiculous. It's like Oh, it's well, yeah. dude, I mean it's it's like, you know, whenever so I called you, when did we when did we talk about the whole Alec Baldwin thing? I remember, I mean, we had we had talked on the phone a few months ago about that. Same thing, man. Yeah. It just feels like there's you know, there's no um accountability. Oh, well that, you know, it wasn't my fault. This guy handed me the gun and um Again, well, dude, it's not. I mean, honestly, it's not just Hollywood, though. It, it's pervasive throughout our country right now. And, oh, absolutely. And, and it's and it sucks. And I'm like, great. I'm, I'm clearly becoming a grumpy old man. But it's like, what, what happened to you? Do something wrong and you pay the man. Yep. Well, I mean, what you I say mean, in New York? You talked about there's no code. There's no code nowadays. Well, it goes right back to what I was saying with core values, and mm-hmm. and and basically what Vega was doing was saying, hey you are in charge of your brothers. I got your back. You got mine. Right. And you fucked up. So now you're going to pay the man. Just real basic stuff, you know, and and to have a, and he was trying to teach these kids a foundation that they're going to need to actually not only survive, but thrive in the SEAL teams or or even last the day. And that's just all gone. Oh, Baldwin. Oh my dude. I've, when I heard that happen, I said, oh, I guarantee you the budget was probably $1.5 million. They were cutting corners. They hired a bunch of rookies. They were drinking on the set. It was just low-budget Hollywood, To and sure as shit, you know, just low-budget crap. I, I mean, I was neck deep. I did a TV series for Spike TV called Surviving Disaster. Right. And I was like, sweet, all right? So it was, I've been in Hollywood about five years, and I got my own show. That, that's doing pretty good. And uh, it was basically they create something like there's a hurricane. There's, a, um, there's a, basically a, a large fire and a, and a skyscraper. You know, there's a home invasion. And I would, we would basically introduce what it was. I would stroll in about three minutes later, act like I was part of this crew, but I'd spend 90% of my time talking to the camera and basically giving advice on how to get through all these things. I was like, you know, the concept was great. It's going to be fun. Uh, and, and sure as shit though, man, I saw low budget hell. They like the two head writers for the show. Guess what they had done prior. They'd been associate producers on you got punked or punked. I was like, okay. I was like, all right, so our two head writers were associate producers on Punk. Our line producer, the only previous, and the line producer is the one put, she puts all the budgets together. They do all the hiring. Her previous experience was 911 Nanny, a show uh, in London where they just followed the nanny around and all the stuff she had to deal with, like screaming kids and changing diapers. And I'm like, what? I was like, you know, you guys not, might not take this serious, but the intro to every TV show is, I'm Kate Courtley, and I'm going to save your life. And I'm like, I kind of take that serious. Well, so sure. I had to go take, 
had to take over all the script writing because the information they were giving for survival situations was freaking ludicrous. The people that they hired, let me give you two quick examples. The person that they hired for the quote safety officer who probably was working with Alec Baldwin, he was also the drug dealer on the set. They tried to convince legitimate drug dealer on set. He, I, I found out he was the one everybody went to to buy drugs on set. Our safety officer. <laughs> they they hired a sixty seven year old female extra. Uh, do you know what an extra is? They basically all they do is they walk in the background to create a, more a of a organic. Right. I mean. Yes. Exactly. Yep. They tried to convince this lady to fall off a flight of steps. Four, there were four stairs, concrete. They're like, it'd be really cool if you could like just fall down those. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is a 53-year-old woman who's getting $200 a day to walk around, and you're trying to get her to do a stunt? That There's three examples of the low-budget hell that I, I, I was dealing with. Um, and so I was like, when I heard about the Alec Baldwin thing, I looked at my girlfriend, I was like, I guarantee you I know what happened with this. And sure, shit. Do, nope. do, you, think anything's, do you think anything's going to happen with that? Because I feel like I feel like in other circumstances, the things would be first off i feel like it would be blown up more than than you know than alec baldwin's situation already is i mean you look at galane maxwell and you know jeffrey epstein thing i feel like that's even been kind of swept under the rug but i feel like if roles were switched politically um there's a lot more attention being brought to it maybe i'm wrong on that but i you know i i I, i don't i don't think you are uh you know we're there's that accountability word again i tell you what will happen i guarantee it uh nobody's gonna go to jail and, but there'll be some pretty serious settlements, um, you know, on sure. on on the financial side. But I, I don't see anybody going to jail. It's just how in the fuck does a live <laughs> round get on to a movie set? That's that's my th- I, I, I dude. I don't have any idea. I mean, I look at I just I don't know, man. I you know going through dude, the that, hell week and I'm, stuff, and you know you have a live round in your gun. You get your ass whooped. You go. You get smoked, but. I, again, I understand that it's a little different in Hollywood, but I agree, man. I again, I don't know all the the ins and outs, but the fact that there is a live round in that weapon was it a revolver? I can't remember what it was. Yeah, it, it was. Well, I just it's just it goes right back to this. You know, you don't hear about shit like that happening uh, on a Matrix, you know, or, or one of the big budget things because they hire the best, and it's sometimes it's pretty dangerous shit they're doing. Uh, between the stunts and, and use of firearms, vehicles, falls, you know, underwater stuff. And they hire the best. And, you know, movies are expensive. Uh, so when you go in there with $1.5 million, but you're trying to create a, you know, a feature film, oh, my God, they're probably picking people up off the, you know, the floor of the YMCA and saying, hey, do you know anything about guns? All right, you're hired. Well, that's – It's just – it's – Yeah. Dude, it's... It, 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 Hollywood is one thing. It's as simple as this. Hollywood is one thing. Money. Yep. That's it. That is it, dude. Yeah, a thousand percent, man. It's, you know, you talk talk about, you know, they're bringing guys on that, that, you know, they, 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 you know, they don't know hardly shit about weapons, right? Now you look at, like you said, you look at the big productions, you look at the John Wicks, the Matrix, you look at Shooter. Man, you got Keanu Reeves and you have Ryan Phillippe that are out working with some of the best trainers, you know, that the world has to offer with, you know, weapon safety. And that's one thing I look at a lot when I see these movies 
Um, I watch how these guys move with their weapon and, you know, where just I'm watching muzzle, I'm watching, you know, where their fingers at. And, and you can tell when someone has truly trained with, with, with someone, right. I mean, with someone good yep. and versus, you know, watching some, some shit film, like, you know, I mean, even like the equalizer, dude, I, there's stuff in there with Queen Latifah and I'm just like, Oh my God, this dude, John, like, all right. It's called the entertainment business because they want people to be entertained by watching this product. I right. get that. Right. But John Wick is a great example. They've done three of those films. Mm-hmm. Keanu does not fuck around. That guy trains as hard as any team guy does when when they're operational. Oh, yeah. And he and, and I, I I know I've been just ripping Hollywood apart. He's one of the coolest guys in that business. Have you ever met him? I have. I have not personally. I've had a ton. Oh, I'll give you another great story. This is Keanu Reeves in a nutshell, and then I'll get back to why. They've been able to expend thousands of rounds in those three Wick movies, and nobody's gotten hurt or killed. But I had, um, I did, I worked on this film called The Pacifier with uh, Vin Diesel, and it's basically he's a Navy SEAL, and then he turns into baby. What'd you do in The Pacifier? Sorry to cut you off. What? Well, uh, so it, it's kind of a funny story how that goes, and then I've got to finish up the camera thing. I'm sorry. But they, no, that's all right. Um, I was working with a different production company and they had a friend that was a screenwriter and they're like, you know, they, they knew what it used to be in the teams. And they basically said, Hey, would you do us a favor? Our, our buddy, uh, Jason Flaherty, who's just an awesome guy. He just got hired to come and do a quick touch up on the pacifier screenplay. Basically it's, it's like, it's 90% there, but then they hire a different writer to come in and, and just do what they call a polish. Just polish it up so we're ready to go. And I was like, all right, see, I'll do this as a favor. So we sat down over coffee, and about an hour later, and his eyes were wide open, and he had ripped through about 20 notepads uh, with just basic seal stuff I was telling him. And he's like, this is incredible. And then the producer called me back about a week later after he turned in the polish, and like, holy crap, dude. You guys did this an hour? This is everything we need to basically green light this script and go into production. Thank you so much. How can we repay you? I was like, well, I don't know, man. Why, why don't you throw me in the movie? It's back when I was dabbling with the idea that maybe I could act my way out of a paper bag. Not the case. So I'm like, all right. So um, the opening sequence of the pacifier, uh, we shot it in Key West. And it's this whole big sort of jet ski scene and, and, and grabbing a hostage off a boat. And uh, so I met with the director and he's like, yeah, it'd be great to have you in this, but I need you to do me another favor. I was like, hey, here we go. Hollywood. They're like, can you work with Vin and make him more Navy SEAL? I was like, <laughs> oh, brother. Well, I tell you what, I'll give it a try. So they flew me down to Key West. It was me, Vin Diesel, and 20 stuntmen. That was it. So, uh, well, okay, Vin had his entourage, but basically there were two quote-unquote actors all the rest of the guys were stunts, uh, which are the fucking coolest guys in that town. And so I basically kind of asked around. I was like, hey, all right, what's the story with Vin? You know, and eh, this, that, whatever. I was like, all right, cool. So the first day I go up, I was like, Vin, I'm Cade. Uh, my job is to make you look better in this movie. If you don't want to listen to anything I say, that's cool because I'm still getting paid. And it just clicked just like that. He's like, right on, brother. Let's do this. And, and, and you know, we've been friends ever since. That's Solid badass, guy. Dude. That's badass. Yeah. So, I mean, it, so that was fun. I spent a week, week in Key West running around on jet skis and 
uh, it was a great experience. Dude, but I, I did uh, not back know to, that. Ex- yeah, back to Keanu. I apologize again. But back to Keanu. So a lot of the guys I worked with, a lot of the stunt guys, and, and if there's such thing as a Navy SEAL who was never a Navy SEAL, it's stunt guys in Hollywood. They're the fucking best. These guys are great because they have a very dangerous job. They need to be good at what they do, and they need to take care of each other. And so I hit it off with these guys. Uh, we had a blast. And one day, I don't know how it came up, but they had just come off Matrix. I think it was – I forget. It was the two or three. I think they did them sequentially, though. But most of those guys had just come off Matrix. So I was asking about it, and they were telling me stories. I was like, so what's up with Keanu? And every one of them was like, coolest motherfucker on the planet. Let me tell you why. They're like, the first day they started Matrix 2-3, Keanu rolls in on one of his custom bikes. And uh, one of the stunt guys is like, man, that is a beautiful bike. He's like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks, man. He's a very humble guy. The last day of shooting Matrix 2-3, everybody comes in, and Keanu had bought every one of those stunt guys an identical bike. No way. <laughs> he didn't have to do that. That's, that's who that guy is. And the fact that he goes the extra mile and trains his ass off for those John Wick movies, and you can see it, man. Oh, for it's sure. It's legit. I mean, you could put him in a train, and you could watch him go through a house uh, with a bunch of guys from Dev Group, and I think he would do just fine. Yeah. That's so badass, so, man. That's, that's one of the little silver linings of that business. Very little silver lining. But there are those guys, like I said earlier, incredibly talented people. Like a Keanu Reeves, man, which is cool. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. It's you know you start talking about about clearing houses and you know training and things like that. Let me let me ask you, kind of switching it up here, ask you know on more of a serious note. So everything that went down with Seaman Seaman Mullen with uh you know within I don't know if he was in uh, I don't know which phase he was in and you know in Bud's training. He's the he's the Navy SEAL candidate that that just passed away during the training. Um, what? I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, kind of get your thoughts on the training and, and, you know, is that just something whenever you go into to buds, is that, that's obviously a risk that you're, that you're willing to take. I mean, I've talked to Will, I've talked to you, you know, Ray and, and Bill and all these guys. And, you know, they said that during, during these, you know, these phases, they'd rather die than fail. And, you know, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't mean to sound insensitive or anything like that, but I mean, even his family has said, you know, he passed away doing what he loves and so I wanted to kind of get your your opinion on it because you were a you know you were a buds instructor you were obviously um, you know what you know you went you were obviously in the teams right and and held a lot of positions of authority and um, I don't know if, I mean if that's something you'd like to speak on I, I'd love to hear your hear your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, look, uh, anybody who's going to join either law enforcement or the military needs to understand that that's you're basically signing up for a potentially very dangerous profession. So you need to understand that when you initially decide to get into it, training is dangerous. It, it is. It's it's dangerous. Now, uh, when I was an instructor at Buds, you do you go out of your way. I mean, you've got an ambulance, an incredibly trained met, um, corpsman following you all the time. You're doing stuff like when you have them in the water. You're like, okay, what's the air temperature? What's the water temperature? Okay, we can't keep them in longer than this many minutes. I mean, a lot of the students don't know that, but you're doing that. And crazy observation, but things happen. I lost a really good friend because the fifth night in hell week, uh, and he was a few classes behind me, great guy. Um, 
he got pneumonia, which happens to a lot of guys in Hell Week. They get pneumonia, and that's why twice a day during Hell Week, you're getting these medical screenings by medical doctors. They are lining you up, and they're basically looking you over head to toe, taking temperatures and doing stuff like that. So, I mean, it's it's under very strict control. It's just not a bunch of drunks out there beating guys. Right, it's right. It's very, very strictly controlled, uh, which is why since Bud started, and I feel really bad for this guy, but I think there have been a total of four trainees that that have died during the time they were in Bud's. Now, that number might be wrong, but it, it, it's not more than six. So we're talking since Bud numbers, started, man. that's almost 70 years of really hardcore training with that kind of a number. Right. Right. So my good friend, so like I said, I mean, look, you're hypothermic for six days in hell week. And my good friend, uh, Lieutenant Wolf, God bless you, buddy. Rest in peace. He got pneumonia. He was at the pool. He vomited and they couldn't clear his airway. Oh no. I mean, stuff like that. It just happens. And, and, you know, he had two corpsmen on him immediately and a doctor on the way and an ambulance on standby. And it's just there that that sort of thing happens. I do not know exactly what the cause of death was for the for the latest trainee, but I do understand it was immediately following hell week. And I'd be willing to bet it has something to do with pneumonia, low blood ox, things like that. And it's a shame and I feel bad for his family. But. You know, we all signed up for that. We didn't sign up to die, but we signed up realizing that might happen. Yeah, it's and uh, go ahead. You know, it's it, well. You talked about when I went through training, I broke my leg like twice. Had to go back over, start over again. Uh, did a hell week, broke my other leg, had to start over again. So the third time, we were uh, there was huge surf, and we were in the IBSs, the inflatable boats, and it was a Friday. And guys were like getting sent to the hospital left and right from the surf. They were just getting their asses kicked. And so the senior first phase instructor, I was a class leader at the time. He came up to me and he goes, all right, you guys are getting hammered and we're probably going to have to shut this down unless you think you got one more in there for your class. And, and, okay. I was like, I, I know what he's doing here. I looked at my boys. I go, do we have one more in us? And they're all like, hey, yeah. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> And so we start going out towards the surf. Another one of the safety boats that were out there, uh, they weren't looking. They got a little bit inside the surf zone, and a Boston whaler is flying at us. And I got tagged in the head. And uh, thank God it was during the winter months because the water was so cold. I came up, and you know when you when you bonk your head really bad, there's like that weird flash you have yes. by your eyes. Yes. So I got a, I got this white flash and uh, I get up and I'm like, holy crap. And my swim buddy who was kind of closest to me, he looks at me and he's like, he's like, Hey, sir, we, we got to get to the beach, man. Cause I had blood coming out of my ear hole. And uh, so I get up to the beach and I'm kind of crawling on all fours. And I look at the senior instructor. This guy was a team six dude. And he looked at me, and the look he gave me back, it's kind of like when a little kid falls down and the parent goes, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit. He gave me this look like, oh, man, you're fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) And so they got me over the – they got me into med bay, and and, uh, I start phasing. Like, I I go unconscious. And uh, next thing I know, I wake up, and I'm in the ambulance heading over the Coronado Bridge over to the Naval 
uh, hospital there. And they got the paddles out, and I'm like, whoa, 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 oh, whoa, whoa. And it's like, yeah. But the reason I'm telling this story is that was my third major injury. And so I'm in ICU. They're asking me who the president is every 45 minutes and stuff like that. I'm like, John Wayne, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I ended up I ended up having to – I get out of ICU. I'm, in, I'm under observation. And this same senior instructor, he was a warrant officer, I, I, you know, Tom Rewerts, dude, if you ever hear this, you are the reason I was able to become a Navy SEAL because you never quit on me. Thank you. Tom comes in and he he's like, you know, what are we going to do with you, man? You know, two broken legs. Now you, you broke your melon. You got a bleeding of the brain, which thank God stopped so they didn't have to drill a hole in me. And he's like, what are we going to do with you? I was like, look, I've got two choices, graduation or a coffin. And that's all I fucking care about. And for anybody who's thinking about going to Bud's, it ain't about the movies or the books or picking up chicks. If you don't go in day one with graduation or coffin, good luck. That's true, man. That's, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I was actually, I thought of a question last night and I think I already know the answer to it. I mean, but I'm going to ask you anyways, when you went into Bud's, I mean, cause I mean, you went in as, you went in as an officer, correct? Cause you had already graduated. Yeah. Okay. So when you went into, when you went into, to Bud's, um, did you, I mean, did you know without a shadow of a doubt that you were going to make it or was it more of like, well, I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, oh, dude. Because <laughs> there's only one way that you can approach that, I feel like, right? I mean, and, and that, look, and that's what I try. I've had so many people come up to me like, hey, my son, or I want to go to, I want to be a SEAL, and I always ask them why. But if it's not a all or nothing mentality, the if I hear somebody say, well, I want to give it a try, it's like, dude, go join the Air Force. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Zoomies. No, it's just it, that's the way it's got to be. You don't get through six days of being hypothermic with a bald head and a partially fractured leg if you're going to try it. You don't try to become a Navy SEAL. It's just it's just not it. I, two years prior to going to starting Buds, I was in college and I was thinking about it every five minutes. I was obsessed. I was sneaking out onto the O course to learn how to do that during the weekends. When they would have hell week, I would sneak out, and this is before they had the beach all locked off. Thanks, Bin Laden. And so I'd sneak out and I'd swim across and I'd just be sitting there in the ocean watching these guys getting hammered. I'm just obsessed, talking to every seal or former seal I could find just to pick their brain. It's gotta be that kind of just an utterly intense graduation or coffin mentality. Or you're just not going to make it. It's, it's like the guys that are, you know, these extremely high-level athletes that end up in the NFL, right? I mean, you're talking about the 1%. I mean, that's 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 kind of what I equated to, right? I mean, yeah. excuse me. I, it's kind of what I, I imagine, you know, you can equate that to is, well, you know, if it's something that you're, you know, you're constantly thinking about, it's a dream of yours, you're training for it all the time, then yes, go for it. But if it's something you're like, yeah, it's, well, I read a book and, and this sounds awesome. I watched a movie and it yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah, I do. 75% isn't going to work when the guys around you are putting out 110. Right. Do the math. Yep. That's, that's what Bill was saying. So I, I had Bill on not too long, about, about two months ago, we were talking about, about buds and, you know, he obviously had Goggins in his group and, but they said that, I mean, when they, cause I mean, you, I don't know if you've read, you know, David's book or whatever, listened to it, but they talk, 
he, he, does, he talks about Bill, but he doesn't talk a whole lot about the other guys. I know Bigby was in his class, but um, on his boat crew, man, I, Bill was just, you know, he talked a little bit about how he, not everybody initially was, was really putting the fuck out, right? I mean, him and Goggins, yeah. they, they were putting out, but, you know, it's yep. at some point, they're, it, it, they were all, you know, very prideful, everybody in his group. They might not have put out very hard initially, but when they, you know, when they see guys, you know, like like the Cades or the Rays or the Jasons or, you know what I mean, putting out like crazy, you got to put up or shut up. You know what I mean? Like you got to show out well, and dude, it, get, get dogged. It's it's just another core value. It's just yep. that, okay, I can do more because this will help us, my brothers. Yeah, exactly. It, it really comes down to just that foundation. And yeah, we uh, when we do log PT. You always knew the guy that was, bro, you can definitely do more than that. And they never made it. They just don't. I mean, the the weed out process is really freaking good, which is why Bud's hasn't changed a whole hell of a lot in the last 60 whatever years it's been around. Right. It's effective. Do do you think do you think Buds has gotten uh, not I, softer isn't the right word but do you think because you see it a lot in in certain branches of the military I've got a bunch of buddies you know that are I got a couple Marine friends a couple Marsat guys things like that and so I've I've asked all of them kind of the same thing do you think you know the, these 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 SF you know you look at Buds you look at at Ranger School do you think that it has toned it down at all or do you think that they've kept the well, same intensity the whole time because I know that you had an issue with another instructor. Or excuse me, was it your was it your chief that you had an issue? Well, with? I tell you what, um, I I think what's going on with buds and with special operations operation training tra- training in general, I think uh, it's somewhat cyclical. Cyclical, it comes and goes in waves a little bit as far as effectiveness and how difficult it is, and it all depends on the commanding officer. It's all up at the top, and what do they want? as a final product at graduation. And unfortunately, when shortly after I started as the senior buds instructor, we got a new commanding officer in. And that commanding officer, his goal was to become an admiral. He's a numbers and I'm guy. Like, I was like, awesome. And he felt the best way to get to his personal goal was to get the most number of graduates through buds during his tenure and i was like that's awesome sir it's a great goal and so i said well sir since buds has been around every 10 guys who comes through the front door we get about two guys to graduation so we need more guys through the front door well for being a full bird captain apparently his arithmetic was fucking terrible because he's like no no we're not going to do that uh we're going to start giving these guys a few more chances in time swim and time run events if they don't make the time. We're going to let him do a few more courses. We're going to be, his term was, we're going to be mentors here as at Bud's. Our instructors aren't instructors, they're mentors. And I was just like, I, I couldn't stomach it. We were having guys, when normally you get two chances at pool comp, which is when you're in scuba exactly. and you're underwater yeah. and they go down, you just get hammered <clears throat> and you have to go through a very specific sequence of events to solve the problem. We don't use scuba in the SEAL teams. The whole thing was you're under pressure in a shitty environment. Are you going to keep your head to know I got to do one, then two, then three, then four, then five problem solved. Awesome. That's what that's all about. And so I, he said, nope, have him do it again. 
nine times, ten times. I was like, oh no, I shit, can't do that this. many. Oh yeah, so I thought you were oh, gonna yeah. be like, okay, maybe four or five, but they're doing it over ten nope, times. No, no, no. That's what I thought. Now look, at this point in my life, I was full of piss and vinegar. Because I've totally mellowed now, right? Yeah, you are. <laughs> so, yeah, you are no, very mellow. But I was just, I was just like, no, I, I. So I was having instructors from all the phases come to me, like, LT, this is this is fucked up, man. I mean, this is messed up. And so instead of being a little bit more diplomatic about how I handled it, I was like, you know what, you guys are right. I was like, Skipper, this is fucked up. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to put my name on it because when I left SEAL Team 1 right next door, when I said goodbye, I said, trust me, anybody who's coming over here from Buds, they've earned it and they'll be good to go. And I was like, I'm not going to go back on that word. And it was it was a kick in the balls, but that was how I left the SEAL Team. That's your name and but reputation, I, man. I mean, for your brothers. Well, I, I go guys. right back to you. I, I couldn't look in the mirror and I was not okay with the guys, the product that we were being forced to put out. And I was like, okay, I guess this is how I'm leaving the Navy. And, and it still stings a little bit because, you know, that sucks. But I still believe that I did the right thing. Probably could have handled it a little bit better, but I still believe in that. And so uh, remember how I said throughout the entire course of time that Buds has been around, we've maybe lost four to six guys right. during Captain Ed Bowen's tenure. As the commanding officer at Buds, he lost two of those in Jeez. two years. Yikes! So you do the That's, numbers on yeah. that there, Ed Ed, Ed Bowen. How, how long? How long was he uh, your commanding officer? Well, he was commanding officer at Buds for two years. For two. Uh, but I I couldn't take it after about nine months. I was like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> Peace out, dude. Yep. I'm surprised you put Good up job, Ed Bowen. You did. Yeah, maybe Alec Baldwin should hire him as a safety officer. <laughs> Is he still alive? Ed Bowen? I don't know. That's funny shit, dude. Well, I, I don't know. That's oh man, that's that's awesome, dude. I listen. You know that I could sit down and talk to you, you know, for for hours and hours. But um, listen, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I know it's, we're getting late, and and you know, I've had you on for you know, we're pushing about an hour. But um, are you? I mean, are you going to be at the swim again this year? Uh, good question. I might have something going on. Uh, I'm trying to do a lot of climbing this year and that's the window where I'm trying to do either Denali or Mount Rainier. So uh, oh, no shit. we'll see how the ske- Yeah, we'll see how the scheduling works out. But uh, dude, you are a super solid guy. You fit right into the club and that's not easy to do. And I'm, and uh, I'm happy to uh, do uh, any, a few more of these if you'd like oh, to, dude. but uh, at the end of long. at the end of the day, dude, you give me a call if you ever need anything. All right. I mean it. I I appreciate you, kid. Love you, brother, and uh, hopefully we uh, you know can can connect either up in Denver or New York or wherever. That sounds great, brother. All right, brother. All right, take you take easy. care, my friend. Yes, sir. Stay safe. See, we'll see ya.